Hi, I'm Chris Waddell. Every week we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. All right, welcome to our Wednesday Name Tags Chat, where we speak with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community. Today we have Brenna Huxaby, uh, who is a two-time gold medalist from Brenna Huckabee. Sorry, got that wrong. This is, it's been a little, a little interesting on the setup side, so I'm a little frazzled, but we'll make it work. Brenna is a two-time gold medalist in snowboarding from Pyeongchang in both uh, Snowboard Cross and Bank Slalom. She is also a three-time world championship gold medalist and a one-time silver medalist in the world championships. She's a mother of two. And looking forward, I'm assuming, to Beijing in 2022. We will get to that. But Brenna, can you talk to us a little bit about how you got here? I mean, we were just talking about this before you started. How does, how does a girl from Louisiana end up as a woman winning gold medals in snowboarding? Um, I don't think an hour is enough time to talk about how I got here, <laughs> but I guess long story short, um, when I, so I grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and sports have always been my outlet. Gymnastics was my obsession and my passion for, I mean, as long as I can remember. When I was 13, I started having this knee pain that would come and go. And um, finally, my mom had enough of me complaining about it. She took me to the doctor. They didn't see anything wrong. Then I went home, had the exact same thing happen for an entire year where it would hurt sometimes, didn't hurt the other times. And a year later, they did another x-ray, basically just to kind of keep me out of the office. And that's when they found a tumor in my right leg. Gymnastics, you were looking, I mean, you were good, right? You were looking to compete in college. So college, I never like, the Olympics were never really my goal or my focus. My parents from a young age told me that if I wanted to go to college, I had to figure out how to fund it. And that was my, like gymnastics I saw as my opportunity and I was really good. And, um, you know, at 13, I was on track to making that college scholarship absolutely my reality. Wow. And gymnastics is a lot of work. I mean, a lot of work when you're a young kid, right? I mean, it's just hours and hours of perfecting your movements. What was your commitment like as a gymnast? As a gymnast? Yeah, I mean, I would come so from kindergarten to fifth grade, I would do gymnastics after school every day. Then in sixth grade, I made the commitment to be homeschooled. And so I homeschooled for a few hours in the morning, did gymnastics all day, and then homeschooled a few hours at night. And then um, I had a really bad injury in sixth grade. So I went to public school from there and actually quit gymnastics. And then um, when I returned to gymnastics, it was again, very similar to kindergarten through fifth grade where I would gymnastics after school every single day and on weekends. It was all I did, but I loved it. 
And so, so then you started at 13, you started getting the, the knee pain. What did you think about the knee pain? Because it's, it's a repetitive motion kind of sport, right? I mean, you're getting beaten up, you're getting injured all the time. What did you think the, the knee pain was? My knee pain was the most convenient, inconvenient knee pain I've ever experienced. It only hurt when I did vault, and I hated vault. So, you know, when you hate something and you have knee pain, you, your coaches are going to think you're just trying to get out of the one thing you hate to do, um, which is why it was conveniently inconvenient. <laughs> Interesting. But it was worse than that, right? So it was worse than that. What, what prompted you? Did you end up going to the doctor immediately or how long did that take? No. So it wasn't terrible until about a year after that first doctor's visit. I went on a run with my older brother. We went for about three miles and it was on concrete. And so when I got back, I could not walk. And um, that was when my mom was like, okay, something is seriously wrong. I, I can't watch this anymore. Like it's gotta be beyond mental in your head. Like there is something very serious. Um, and so literally two days later after that, I went to the doctor and that's when they found the tumor. And they found the tumor. And then, so what's the prognosis? What are you doing as, as, as a 14 year old kid? Do they just tell you, hey, this is a tumor, this is cancer, this is the way it's going to go? Or, or do they talk to your mom? How, how did that all work? So they ended up, I got an MRI that same night that they found it on the x-ray. And they ended up telling my mom everything that was going on. And then she came home and at home, she told me, you know, what they had found. I did not know what any of it meant. I was like, I, what are you talking about? Do I have to go to school tomorrow? That was all I cared about. <laughs> so I really didn't know what was going on. Um, and it wasn't until I had the biopsy and like really started chemotherapy that I realized like, oh, this is serious. Like this is not good. Wow. And then, so where did it, where did it go from there? Were you still, could you still compete or train or how did that work? No. So, um, the closest best hospital for me at the time was it in MD Anderson in Texas. So when they found the tumor, I pretty much, I think like two days later drove to Texas. Um, and we knew that the tumor, whether it was benign, non-cancerous or malignant cancerous, no matter what, I was going to need surgery. So I kind of already knew my season was over. Um, I just didn't realize it was over for good. <laughs> wow. And so then, then you have to go through the chemo, then you have to go through all of the, the surgery, everything. And then when do you get to the point of the amputation because i'd imagine you wanted to keep your leg right yes yeah, so um originally i wanted to have the limb salvage where they go in and they put a titanium rod where your leg is um and that's just it, it really isn't functional you can walk but you can't run jump twist anything fun but you have the aesthetic of a real leg um and i had originally chosen that because I mean, especially this was 2010, you know, you didn't see many people with disabilities. Um, and so the idea of having a prosthetic leg was worse to me at the time than the idea of not being able to play. <laughs> um, and so I had originally chosen to save my leg and then my tumor, instead of shrinking from the chemotherapy, was doubling in size very quickly. Um, so we had to amputate. Or, I mean, I didn't have to amputate, but if I wanted to survive, I had to amputate. And um, that's whenever 
literally when we found the tumor was growing, two weeks later, I had my amputation. Wow. So that was no time to prepare, really. I mean, to prepare mentally. What was that like? I honestly don't remember a whole lot of it. Um, I was coming off of chemotherapy, which is the only reason that we had to wait two weeks was because my blood counts were so low. Um, And every time that I had a treatment, I mean, I was on so many different medications. I really do not remember much. So two weeks later, you lose your leg. And then what happens from there? Because you're a teenage girl, right? So you're, so the... I mean, you're going through weird stuff, right? As a, as a teenager and looking different than other people and how, I mean, what do you, what do you, what happens as a mindset after, after you then lose your leg and how do you start sort of rebuilding who you are creating, who you're going to be? Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, throughout that whole time, I kind of felt like my family's rock in a way. And so I always tried to be stronger than I felt. And so I I was pretty okay until I was done with treatment. Um, Whenever I finished treatment, the whole reality of everything that I went through had really sunk in. And because I realized like the whole life that I had just fought for, it didn't exist anymore. Like it wasn't there. I didn't have friends, gymnastics, passion, just a future that I thought I had. And so after cancer and at the point I was cancer free, that was when it it just, I noticed and realized that like, holy crap, like my life has changed like big time. Wow. Yeah. That's an interesting, interesting dynamic, isn't it? That you as the one with, with the cancer are the rock for everybody else. And in some ways it's partially because you kind of know what's going on. Like they're just trying to make you better, but you kind of know like, okay, this is all right. It's all good. I'm going to be fine. But the reality of it, when the reality hits you and you think, well, this is for the rest of my life. What, what was next? How did you, how did you start picking up the pieces? Took me a really long time. Um, and I basically, I had to allow my family to be my rock. Um, because I, I was depressed. I've never been so depressed in my life. I wouldn't even wear my prosthetic. I rode around on a jazzy. I was angry. I was hurt. You know, typical stages of grief. Um, I experienced all of them in a very quick amount of time. And my family, actually, my mom said this one sentence that completely just changed me. She said, every time that you lay on this couch, you're letting cancer win. And that just struck me because it's like, yeah, I may have physically beat it, but it's winning. It's still taking over my life and consuming me. And so um, we knew that sports were such a big thing for me because, you know, that was my whole childhood. Um, so we, we, as in my family, were like, all right, well, let's see what you can do. Let's pick you up and put you into as much as, you, as we can get you in and, and see what, what sticks. And that was kind of the direction that I took to get me out of that, that depression and that funk. Was snowboarding the first thing that stuck or... Or is there something else? <laughs> and there's Snow crying in the background. Not. This is hard. <laughs> Tough audience. I'm sorry. She's like, don't ask that. No. Snowboarding was never, I mean, I'm from Louisiana. Like, I didn't even know what snowboarding really was, you know? Like, never even a thought. Um, I tried swimming. I had done water sports. I had tried, like, I just, I'm so picky when it comes to sports. I don't like to sweat. Like, I, and I want to be good at it the first time. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so every sport that I had tried, I did not like it because it was sweaty and hot and gross and I didn't like it or I was terrible. And so about a year later, that's whenever I got invited on a ski trip and that's when I decided to snowboard, but I was awful at snowboarding. And, and so you were awful at snowboarding, but why did you, why did you go back? Because then I read that you ended up moving to Utah to snowboard. When did this, when did this all, how, did, how does this happen? Okay, so what drew me to snowboarding, I think gymnastics is hard and you're chasing something you can't achieve. Perfection cannot be achieved. So no matter what you're doing, you're challenging yourself and it's scary and you fall and like you, you're like kind of on the brink of either injury or se severe injury. And I loved that. Um, and so whenever I tried snowboarding, I was terrible, but I also wasn't terrible. I think this is the main shift. I wasn't terrible because of my prosthetic. I was terrible because it's hard in general. And, and you're okay with that. Exactly. I was like, I can be good at this. It's just going to take me some time, um, but it's hard because it's hard. It's hard for everyone. Um, so that's what drew me to it. And, and the, did you, did the whole family move to Utah? How did, how did that work? Uh, my family did not move. It was only my mom and I. Um, my dad had a job. He couldn't leave. And my mom had just become a nurse. So it was kind of a good opportunity for her to get some experience nursing as well as she's always wanted to live in the mountains. Um, yeah, so it was kind of a win-win. I also moved there so that I could get in-state tuition to kind of cheapen, everything's surrounding college, if you haven't noticed. Um, so I could get in-state tuition and then I could stay there for college and my mom was going to move back to Louisiana. Oh, okay. All right. And so then, so you started with the National Ability Center in Park City? Yes. Yes. How did it, so, so you went from it being really hard and you were really bad to when did it start getting good? How did it, how did that work? When did you, did you have that moment where you're like, oh, okay, I think I can figure this one out. Yeah, so I joined, okay, two things. One, I got a prosthetic leg made for snowboarding, helped a lot. <laughs> can you describe what that means? Why you'd have a specific leg for snowboarding? Yeah, so there's no, there's no one size fits all leg. Uh, my typical leg is, basically just for walking and it moves like this, like it kind of swings out, um, which is not the motion that you want for snowboarding. You want more of like an absorption. And so my, my snowboarding leg does this, which means it's terrible for walking. That is interesting. But there's so many different parts of it, right? Because I actually, I watched a video earlier where you had, where, where you were showing how you can actually use high heels and, and you can just pivot your foot a little bit to create the high heel. Which is, which is pretty cool if you want to wear high heels. I, I mean, I haven't had a real need to myself, but, uh, but that sounds awesome. So how did you figure out that you needed to have a, a specific prosthetic leg for snowboarding? Yeah, so at the National Ability Center, I mean, it was a hub for other athletes. And so Nicole Roundy, who was on the uh, team with me to, in Korea, she actually told me about her leg and she let me borrow it. She's like, here, you can take my leg out for a try. <laughs> okay, so how, how exactly will you borrow someone's leg? Can you talk us through what that means? Yeah, so um, a leg is basically just like, 
I say there's no one size fits all leg, but like when it comes to actual knees and feet, it really is one size fits all. You just have different connector pieces that are for your body. Um, so I just connected her knee into my connection pieces so that it fit me. Um, but yeah, it was super cool because the second that I tried her prosthetic, I was able to go on black diamonds. Really? So right away, mm -hmm. as soon as you got this new prosthetic, as soon as you got this equipment, all of a sudden the world opened up to you. Exactly. And so you went and got your own, I'm assuming pretty soon thereafter. <laughs> yeah, like immediately. Um, the guy who actually made my initial one lived in Utah. So it was kind of perfect. Everything aligned there. Wow. So, so how did you, how did you pay for it? Because it's got to be relatively expensive too, right? How does this work that you buy another leg? Yeah, I honestly can't remember. Um, my, I know that my parents helped me. I want to say we did a GoFundMe, um, but I don't remember at that time. Wow. Okay. And so what year was this? 2011 or 12. 2011 or 12. Or 12, so I then, can't remember. Then you, started, then you started competing after you got your own leg? Yeah, so I joined the Team Utah National Ability Center team at the time. That's what it was. Um, and they have coaches who took adaptive athletes and coached them as you would a normal team. And the second that I started actually getting coaching, my writing just got so much better. And they invited me when one of the coaches was like, hey, like, I think you're doing really well. Do you want to come to nationals? Because at the time it was just like a free for all. And I was like, sure. He's like, don't expect much. You're probably not going to do well. These girls just got back from Sochi. Like, just go for the experience. And I ended up placing third. And that was when I was like, whoa, like I can actually be pretty good at this. And um, a few months later, I got invited to a World Cup because of my performance at Nationals. And that was when it just took off. So once you got the leg, then you started competing, then you're, you're competing your third and the women at the, in the US are re, were really good as well. So this immediately tells you that you're in pretty good shape in the world. Yes. And then you did well in the World Cup. And so that was 2014. And then by 2015, you were fully on the team and gold and silver in the world championships, right? Yes. So um, yeah, my first world championships, I got a gold medal and a silver medal, which was kind of mind blowing. <laughs> Did you expect that going in? No. <laughs> what was your thought process? Like you're approaching your first, your first event and you're going in and you're thinking, you know, are, are you thinking, well, I have to beat this person that I'm up against. Is this dueled or is it, or is it single person on the, on the run? Um, it was dual and I, I'm an extremely competitive person. So I'd love to lie to you and say I was just there to have fun, but like, no, I was out for blood. I wanted to win. Um, but I think like also I was just so wrapped up in the experience as well because I had never traveled out of the country until oh, I, got, I went out of the country once, but like I had never been to these places that uh, snowboarding was taking me. So I was just like totally in the moment, but also trying to win. <laughs> And where were, where were the world championships? They were in Spain. In Spain. 
So that's mm -hmm. super cool. So you're going to Spain, you're competing in Spain. Are you hooked? When did you get hooked and say, I'm going absolutely as far as I can with this? Probably the second that I started snowboarding. <laughs> yeah, um, but I would say that it really became a reality once I started competing. Once you started competing. So this is 2015 and then you had your first daughter in 2016, right? Yes. And when is her birthday? Uh, May 2016. There was between that and World Championships. Yeah, so I'm trying to, let's see, I gave birth to her in May, but I was competing pregnant because I didn't know I was pregnant. Uh, yeah, so I was competing like three and a half, four months pregnant with her in my tummy and I had no idea. So that was kind of good though, because I got like half a season in before I, I took a whole season off um, to give birth and maternity leave and all of that. And then I returned that following season while she was only like six months old. And that was when world, the next world championships was. What is that like? Because I'm assuming that you don't just leave her at home at six months old, right? They, are you traveling with an infant? as you're going to the world championships? I wish. No, I had to leave her. Um, I was leaving home at, when she was three months back then. I mean, childcare, I mean, it's expensive. You know, we'd have to fly out her, a nanny, somebody, a, a, a hotel room. Like, these are costs that, especially back then, I couldn't even think of ever covering. So I left her at three months old, and it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Oh. That's got to be brutal. And then, so how do, how do you look at competition when your three to six month old daughter is at home? What's the, what's the perspective? What's the priority? Uh, she's my fire. So I had to learn how to compartmentalize. Whenever I'm on the road, I am snowboarder. When I'm at home, I'm Brenna Huckabee. Uh, or I'm, I'm mom, sorry. And so whenever when I'm on the road, if I'm leaving, this is kind of what I told myself when I first decided, like, I'm going back to sport. I, I'm like, if I'm leaving, I'm going to make it worth it. I'm going to make it worthwhile. I'm going to do everything that I can to ideally, you know, do well so that I can provide a life for my family. Um, and so she was my fire, my motivation. Both my kids still are because, I mean, I missed out. I was talking to Tristan. Um, our youngest one just started kind of walking today. And... I told Tristan, I missed out on Lila's, my oldest first steps because I was on the road. And it's like, it was worth it in the end, but I mean, it's hard. You're giving up so much. And I'm like, if I'm giving all this up, like I better come home with some gold. <laughs> and so is that the, cause we always need those big goals, right? Like the big overarching goal and some of it's to win, but, but for you, it sounds like it's, it's to support your family. Is that the big goal for you? Are there other sort of big goals that are, that are encompassed in that? Or is it really that that's the, the overarching one? No, I would definitely say the biggest one is to support my family. It's definitely a lot in there beyond that. I mean, I, I do this so that I can create a platform so where I can help literally anyone who needs it, whether it's disability, body positivity, mental health. Like, I want to build a platform and a place in a community and so like that's in there also just I love snowboarding I love competing and I love winning so like obviously that is definitely a piece but I would say the biggest umbrella is so that 
is to make a life so that I can continue to do all of these things. Um, you know, cause the second that you have to go get, whether it's a nine to five or something, you're taking away from the time that you could be giving and doing other things, what I'm doing now. <laughs> so that's like the big goal. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell people how, how does it work? How are you able to, to make a living as a Paralympic snowboarder? Because it's probably not obvious to a lot of people. It's very, very, very difficult, first of all. Um, and second of all, you know, I rely on sponsorships and I've done a lot of like influencer things where I'll, you know, market products that I align with. But honestly, like there's no, I mean, we don't have NBA money. Like it's, it's maybe you'll get a, a, a collaboration or something, but it's a grind. You're always trying to look for what can I do to, to help market a company so that they can help me. And so you, in addition to being a mom, in addition to being an athlete machine, right? How, what do you consider your job and how do you approach the, uh, the marketing side of things? How do you balance all of this? Oh, I hate when people ask me what I do because I honestly don't know. I do so many different things. Um, I, I do whatever like the flavor of the month is. It's like, oh, you know, I'm feeling this a little more. So I'm just going to give them this answer because otherwise I will be sitting here for five minutes telling you what I do. Um, so yeah, I just kind of pick whatever one makes the most sense for the conversation. <laughs> right. But it's, 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 it, I am, I am right there with you. I understand exactly how that works always the hardest you're not you can't just say well I'm a doctor or I'm a I'm a lawyer or I'm a teacher or whatever it is it's like well I do a little bit of this and I do a little bit of that and this one's in an embryonic stage and this one is okay and I'm hoping that they all come together and actually mean something <laughs> in the end but I'm not positive that it's going to so I won't tell you yes that's me <laughs> so we were sharing earlier on the the thing that when I competed that actually catapulted me to the point where I could make a living as an athlete was I was in People Magazine. I was one of the 50 most beautiful people in People Magazine. You did, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> really, I mean, it's, it's so funny because it was more recognizable. It was, it was more valuable in a lot of ways. I mean, a lot of people saw it to then then all of the medals that I had won. And you know, I mean, it's like, you, you think, well, I was the best in the world at, at this point. And you know, this day I was the best in the world, but, but that was the thing that catapulted me. You did something really similar in that you were in the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. First of all, how did that come about? Um, so I actually found out I was in, um, the Netherlands or Amsterdam, I can't remember, on a snowboard trip. And I got a text at five o'clock in the morning. Hey, can you go to Aruba in two days to shoot for SI Swim? And yeah, that was the text. Who, I'm like, hold on, who's this from? <laughs> who's the text from? Um, I do have an agent. I work with an agent. So he texted me and we had just started working together. And I was like, I looked at my teammate and I'm like, dude, am I reading this correctly? And so then I had to figure out how do I tell my coaches like, Oh, peace out. I'm going to go to Aruba while, you know, we're in the middle of this competition. Um, but it, we hadn't started competing yet. We had a few days in between. 
So um, my coaches were like, yes, absolutely go. Like, go do that. That's very important. And I was like, okay. Um, and then I shot in Aruba for like two days and then I flew back and competed the next, like I had like two days in between. It was crazy. Wow. Now, when I did this, when I did my shoot, I actually did my shoot going home from Nagano. So we competed in Nagano. We stopped in Hawaii for two and a half days or something like that. And then flew to, flew to Oregon. And unlike you, to a certain extent, they, they told me, you've got to keep this secret. If anybody hears about it, we're going to pull you. And I was like, oh, this could be this huge opportunity. So all my teammates are going out like scuba diving and you know, doing whatever you do in Hawaii. And I just snuck out. I'm like, all right, see you guys later. I'm going to go do the shoot. And the woman who was the photographer said to me, you have no idea how this will change your career. Oh, I love did anybody that. Like that to you, or did it change your career? Um, I can't remember anyone saying it specifically like that. Um, I was so wrapped up in okay, my pre SI swim, I wore shorts with my swimsuits, like super, like. You know, I grew up, I, I went to a Catholic school. Like, I don't know. I, it was just like very weird. And so it really, I was so focused on like, what does this mean for the disability community? Like if I show up, is this appropriate? Am I representing appropriately? Like, is this something that is going to be good for us as like a collective, as a community? And so I was so caught up in that. Um, and then after, and once it launched, that's when it kind of like, really sink in that like holy cow like not only did I do something for the disability community like I just did something for myself which was like pretty cool <laughs> pretty awesome <laughs> and was there was there an immediate change in terms of like you know the deals that you were getting the offers the sponsorship the those kinds of things um so I would definitely say yes now like that's kind of where my recognition comes from because I mean, like you had mentioned, like the medals and stuff, it's, it's cool and all, but people really care about the issue. Like that is what their eyes light up. And I'm like, hold on, I did not just work my butt off for these two gold medals for you to tell me that. No, you gotta give me credit for both, come on. Um, but so now, yes. But I will say that both do, both are very important. You know what I mean? Like having those medals help tremendously. Well, you're the you're the complete package, right? You're not just the pretty face. You can go really fast. You're really good at what you do. You work hard at what you do. What was the reaction from the community? You were saying that that part of it is you wanted to represent the community well, the disability community. What was the reaction? I was so scared to check the internet the day after it came out. Um, but when I did, it was flooded with positivity so many people saying like, oh my God, I have never seen anyone like me in such an exclusive magazine. Oh my God, I've never seen anyone like me, seen as sexy and beautiful and confident. And like now, I mean, social media as a whole has obviously changed that. But like when I go, so as I just posted another photo of me and whenever I go to those pictures and read the comments, there are so many people who are like, that was my inspiration for posting this or that was my inspiration for doing this and like I have people in my DM saying that and I'm like that is what brings me the most amount of joy like seeing what I have done changing other people's lives like seeing those progressions that other people are going through with their confidence and self-love and acceptance like 
that is why I'm here and doing what I'm doing because it brings me so much joy. It's part of, it's, it's your journey as well, right? I mean, you said you, you went five years without wanting anybody to see your stump, right? Mm-hmm. And so how did this change the way that you look at yourself? That all of a sudden, I mean, this is like, this is the pinnacle, right? Like the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Editions, like these are, these are the most beautiful people. How did that change you or change your yeah. view of yourself? Um, I still, I'm like a little mind blown that I was in there, but it, it definitely helped me realize like, I am like everything that I felt, those days that you feel confident, those days that you feel beautiful and sexy, like those are real. Like it made me realize it's like, I'm not just saying them just to say, I'm like, no, like I really am here. I really am showing up. And, um, now like with every little thing that I do, it has been so healing to me to, to just keep that progression going. For instance, you know, I can post a picture of me with my prosthetic off and not feel anything. I don't even feel embarrassed or ashamed anymore. Or like, it's just so amazing to me that like, I have grown so much because of that one or 10 photos, you know? (laughs) And and I would imagine that, that, you know, posting that kind of a photo, you get great responses too that that encourage you that it's not it's not voyeurism it's like this is celebrating who you are and does that push you to go do more and to help represent people more yeah I would definitely say the comments where people are like this inspired me to do x y and z is like if I can do it if I feel in my heart like I'm okay posting this then I'm going to post it if, it, if I know it's going to help somebody. Um, but like everything that I post and I do, I am at peace with it. I'm not making it to exploit myself. I'm making it to show like you can do this too. Um, and that again has just been so healing for me because I've just been naturally evolving. I haven't done anything that has been like so out of character for me to post. Like that would almost hurt me. So everything I've posted has been like kind of in this natural progression of acceptance in myself. It is a natural progression and it takes a while in a lot of ways. So looking at, um, you know, I mean, looking at the, at the reviews or not the reviews, but the comments, right? I mean, you said the comments have been overwhelmingly positive. When I'm buying something, I go and look at the reviews and I, I get, okay, yeah, this is great. This is great. I'm like, okay, how about I go to the person who says this is the worst thing going Have you had any of those comments that just cut you to the core? And what does it do to you and how do you bounce back from it? Of course, people on the internet can be so mean. Um, But I feel like I get hurt when I read people's comments that are mean, but I don't know. I always remind myself, I'm like, it's not real life. Like they're not in my real life. But there has been a time where I overheard people in public talking about the issue And then they mentioned, oh, well, they should have used this model because she's prettier. And I still think about that to this day because it's like, oh, maybe I did incorrectly. But like, why do our brains do this? That was one, one instance of hearing negativity over the hundreds and thousands of the positives. Like, why am I caught up on that one? It's ridiculous. (laughs) 
it, it, it is completely ridiculous, but we go there, right? And we keep hearing it in our head. You get a thousand that are like, she is spectacular. She's beautiful. She's a, she's a trailblazer. She's changing the world. And the one person, oh, she could have been prettier. You know? And you're like, oh, but, but can you, can you block that out? Can you find a way to, to just kind of move forward or to, to take the emotion out of it? Cause it's really hard. I mean, it's, that's for all of us. You're, you just happen to be more visible than the rest of us. Yeah. So I go to therapy helps a lot. <laughs> just like being able to talk through it because like I said, like that's not these people, they're not my support. They're not the people that love me and care about me and cherish me. And like, that is why I live, right? Like for my daughters, my husband, my parents, my grandparents, like their opinion, opinions of me are truly what matters and how I show up for the people in my life. And obviously how I show up online is, is important. But at the end of the day, when I, when I pass away, the people in my room and in my house, those are the people that are going to be at my funeral. And it's like, I need to remember like that is, that is the most important thing. And, and I don't know, it kind of just keeps me grounded and like remembering that this world right here is the world that I should be caught up in. Did that come about as a result of therapy or did it come, or did, was it just reflection or things that you read or, or where did it come from? How did you come to that realization? Um, definitely a mix of all of the above. I, um, I love reading. I am in personal development books all the time. I love reading just, well, I love reading everything, but I do read a lot of personal development. I read, um, or listen to podcasts kind of in the same area and therapy. So I get to talk it out and like, then I get to go back and do some self-reflecting and it's just a combination of all of that. I'm always trying to see how I can be better because I feel like whenever I am better, I can show up for other people better. And you're showing up for other people. You're doing your, your blog, your TikTok blog, which is, which is really pretty vulnerable. And I'm imagining that you have seen a progression as you've gone, gone along. You've been willing to share more of that. What was the idea? Why did you think that you wanted to start a blog? Yeah, so I started TikTok just for fun um, back in, I don't know, I was still pregnant. And I kind of, I just like didn't really know what I was doing. And then I made a video and I can't remember what it was the first one, but I think I read comments around, oh, I didn't know that. Or, oh, like that's really interesting. I've never seen that before. And then it made me realize like I on Instagram and Facebook have been living in this bubble and because the reach is so much smaller. And so when I got on TikTok, I noticed I am hitting so many people who has never seen somebody with a disability. And I'm like, I can, you know, be my own representation in my own life to show so like millions, you really, you reach millions of people on that app. That is millions of people who get to learn about what it's like and how amazing and beautiful my life is as an amputee. I'm not crying every day and in depression because of my disability. Like, I am thriving in life and I get to show and change the perspective of millions of people on that app. It's so cool. I've got to give you, you're getting a little bit of love in the chat room here as well. So, so we've got uh, uh, Don Tornes, uh, who says, love you, Brenna. Sarah Schultz, Mike was on just recently <laughs> saying, hi, Brenna, uh, Hannah, Hannah Chasen. Love you, Brenna. You're looking fantastic. So anytime, 
you're thinking that you're not. <laughs> Hannah is telling you that you most certainly are. But it's so did it start with the idea of, of sharing, you know, sort of your specific because uh, because you have stuff about like your knee, how your knee works because you're an above the knee amputee. Can you tell people how your knee works? Because it's really pretty cool. Yeah, so I have a microprocessing prosthetic knee, and this knee is for my walking. It's pretty much exclusive to like every day. Um, and it is set up in my prosthetic office to literally how I walk and the speeds at which I walk and how my natural body moves. It is set up to mimic as much as possible my natural body. Um, so I have to charge it every single night. It's got three speeds that it can do, slow, medium, and fast. And um, it has this thing called stability or stumble recovery. And so anytime that I kind of go to fall or like step weird, it catches me, which is like a savior because I am very clumsy. <laughs> that is, I mean, how recently has that been out? How long has that been out? Oh, a very long time. Really? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. That's yeah, so they... They, they've been out for a long time. The thing is, is they've just evolved. You know, the first one, maybe it, like the iPhone, right? Like the first iPhone, it, it worked, it was great. But over time, they've just made it so much better. I mean, they have some that like I don't have that are like, they can do it all, which is really cool. That is amazing because, you know, a lot of people don't understand the technology that goes into a prosthetic and probably a lot of amputees don't have access to the same kind of technology that you do to see how much easier it can support your life. What's the, what's your sense of beauty? I mean, we talked about the swimsuit issue, but you're sharing a fair amount in your blog about what it means to be beautiful. And when you're doing that, what is beauty and who is your audience? Yeah. So, I will start with the first one. To me, beauty is just seeing you as you are. I mean, whenever I see all of these people glorifying bodies, my idea of beauty is what that body can do. Like my body has taken me to the top of mountains and flung me to the bottom. Like my body has carried my children, hiked, it loves, it does all of these amazing, beautiful things. And to me, that is beauty. Like what we do with our bodies. Um, and my audience is hopefully everyone. I feel like everyone can relate and take a little bit of that with them because I think so often, especially Gen Z, which I'm technically a part of, um, we are so caught up in image, you know, the social media generation. And so for, I'm just trying to like, just be that little voice of like, okay, you're so much more. Like you're so much more than just that image. So much more. How much of you is the audience. Are you the audience for yourself? Oh, I've never thought about that, but probably. I mean, I ask this because it seems like you're going through a progression and you're getting bolder and you're getting more comfortable in who you are. So, so sometimes, I mean, I'm a firm believer that the teachers end up learning more than the students oftentimes. And, and you are in this position of being the teacher and you're held to you're held to a higher, a higher standard, right? By, by putting yourself out there as an expert. And, and so then how often are you listening to yourself? Because oftentimes it's easy. Other people go, wow, Brenna, like you're amazing. You're so smart. And, and you're thinking, really, I should probably listen to myself. Does that happen to you? 
Absolutely. And I also feel like so often I'm talking to like other versions of myself or like pieces of me that I've like grown out of, but like, I wish somebody would have told me this or like, I wish I would have heard this during this stage. And I think so while it might not be me at this moment, which sometimes it is, I feel like more often than not, it's like a past me for sure. Do you go back and watch your, your blog posts or once it's done, it's done? I hate it. I, I think my voice is so cringy. I can't, mm -mm, mm -mm. like, I won't watch this. No. Mm -mm. <laughs> That's okay. I won't take it too personally. I mean, a you know, few, few tears on the pillow, but it'll all be okay. Don't, don't worry about it. But I, I don't think your voice is cringeworthy at all. And, but I think we all think that about our voice and it, it's funny because I watched, I, like, I saw the one where, because you seem pretty bold. You seem like you don't care. Like you put the, put out the one about how you, how you wear your pants. Can you describe how you wear your pants? I, I've not seen this before. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So going back to old versions of myself, I was so like embarrassed and ashamed of how my body looked in pants. I have a lot of atrophy on my right side where my prosthetic is, so muscle smallness. So yeah, my quads are like very different sized. Um, and so for the longest time, I either didn't wear pants or I would take toilet paper and put it around my quad and then duct tape it so that my pants filled out. And like, I would do that every day. That is like so wasteful. I cannot believe I spent the time to do that. Um, just so that I could feel normal. And so I now, as I've gotten older, have realized, one, I'm not fooling anyone. Like, I clearly don't have another leg. Like, that is so crazy to me. And two, like, going back to our bodies are so much more. Um, I don't need to do that to be beautiful or to fit into this bubble of beauty. And so now I just wear my pants like anybody else. And I own it. And I love it because I love myself and I love my body. Is some of that just fitting in though? Just like avoiding the questions, like being in the supermarket and somebody like, what's wrong with her leg? What's going on there? And not necessarily wanting to have that conversation or are you always in a position where you feel like it's an opportunity to educate? It's a teaching moment. Yeah. So, okay. So high school Brenna did the duct tape and stuff and it, I mean, it didn't stop the questions because you could still tell that I had a leg. It was just lumpy. Like it was obviously something was wrong. <laughs> and so it never really stopped any of that. Um, but as I've gotten older again, and I have my own kiddos, I realize like it is an opportunity to educate. Um, but hopefully we can get to a point where people don't have to ask you. Like hopefully we can get to a point where you, I can go to the grocery store and not have to spend 10 minutes of my time explaining to somebody what, what a prosthetic is, how it moves, or, or my life story of how I lost my leg. Because like that in and of itself can be kind of traumatizing. And, and I'm just trying to buy milk. Like I don't, I don't need to go into my whole life story. And so I hope through making videos and seeing all of these other amputees doing the same, like they're also putting in the work online, like hopefully we can get to a place where it's just another thing, you know, just like, Oh, that it's, person's kicking, kicking butt. Yeah. And, and when you show up in a skirt or in shorts or something, people look at it and go, Whoa, like that's cool. Like, what's, I mean, this is high tech stuff, right? 
Yes. Yeah, so it de definitely depends on where you are. Um, I've definitely had, I've had kids scream at me. I've had older people like when I walk by or they do the like the, I'm like, I can just, I can see you. Um, but I would say in the last like five years or so, it's been mostly like, whoa, I've never seen that. That's really cool. Um, which is promising because I feel like people have often seen them online or somewhere else. They're like, oh, I've never seen one in person. Um, so it's kind of cool because we've kind of switched the narrative a little bit, which everything takes time. Right. And you happen to be really good at a, at a variety of different things. And, you know, snowboarding being, being, you know, primary, I would assume, but really good at a lot of other things as well. And, and so it's, it's, I mean, it's interesting what you're saying about with the blog where you're putting it out there so that the conversation doesn't have to happen. And, and for you, that's not that big a deal. But the conversation for somebody like if you look at the younger you, the you who had just come out of the hospital, you don't know what's going on. And, and people are asking you questions. You're like, let me, let me get back to you in six months because I don't really know. I don't really know what you're talking about. So it's, it's interesting that you're putting it out there to eliminate, in some ways, eliminate the questions. It puts a premium on you to be more honest, though, too. Is that a challenge? I would say it can be. So being open, I, I don't mind. Like, if I can help somebody, I'm going to do it. But I will say, I do get a lot of comments where they're like, oh, that's such a pity. Or like, I would kill myself if I, if I lived like that. Or like, and it's like, no, like, you're missing the point. Um, because, I mean, my life is pretty freaking awesome, you know? And, and everybody in my life that I know that has a disability, their life is pretty freaking awesome. So I just, some people miss the points and that's really hard for me because it's like, I just shared all of this. I just put this out here and you're going to say that. Like, really? Um, but then, I, so I have a friend who's, who's really outspoken in the disability community. So I'll text her and be like, okay, I just need to vent. This happened. And then she's like, yep, that's just your cue that you need to keep doing what you're doing. And I'm like, you're right. And we just keep going. How can you, because your experience isn't that much different than everybody else's experiences. I mean, you talk about like snowboarding, right? That you wanted to get involved in snowboarding because it was hard because it was difficult to do, because it reminded you of gymnastics and life can be hard. How do you relate what you're doing to somebody else, to somebody who is not an amputee? Yeah, so, okay. I always say like gymnastics prepared me for everything life has thrown at me because sport has taught me perseverance. Perseverance is literally the key to life because you are gonna fail, you're gonna be rejected, you're gonna go and do something and something's gonna happen and redirect you and that's how you get to it. So like literally nothing is certain, nothing is set in stone. And the second that you accept that and the second that you realize that you're able to freaking thrive because you know it's coming. You know it's coming, it's already out there and it happens to all of us. Like some of the toughest things in my life has been not cancer or amputation related. It's been hard, real life related. And I have just been fortunate to have all these tools through cancer and amputation and self-reflection that I've been like, oh, this is how I'm gonna get through this. Um, and so I think 
and, and I tell people all the time, it's like, you have the tools, you've done this before. It might've been on a smaller scale, but you've done this before. You've picked yourself up somewhere along the lines. Like you've done this, you've got this and you can handle it. And what's their response? Depends on who I'm talking to. It might take a little more convincing, but I would say more often than not, like people are able to like see like, oh my God, like you're right. Like we've, I've been here and I can do this. And I mean, I think one big thing is like always having somebody to talk to and to kind of motivate you through it and help you work through it. For me, that's been therapy. <laughs> I'm a pro therapy for all. Um, it's, you know, there's, it's getting more accessible, which I think is beautiful, but like just having somebody there that you can literally just let it out and work through it through, through speaking through it or writing or journaling about it has been really big for me too. What's, so you have two daughters now, how old are your daughters? So Lila's four and Sloan is 10 months. 10 months. Wow. Okay. So how does this, is this, is this a big part of the refrain, the common teaching with your daughters and how, how do you approach it? Because it's a little bit more personal, right? When it's your daughters and then how do they receive it? Yeah. So I feel like the younger that you can learn a lot of this stuff, it's going to be a lot easier. Um, and so I do a lot. I try to do a lot for my kiddos to, to kind of see the value in themselves at a young age, because I feel like if you can start there, then they will have the confidence and the, the foundation to handle and tackle anything in life. And then also like my home is a haven. Like my home is a place where you can come and like mom loves you, mom's got you. Um, and I think that's really big, kind of going back to that support and somebody to talk, talk about and talk with. Um, but also I'm a dust your, dust your knees off and get back out there kind of mom. Like Lila falls off her bike. I'm like, okay, let's get back up and do it again. So you're not scared of it. Although I don't say, so you're not scared of it. I just say, let's get back up and do it again. Um, so I don't know. I just feel like these little moments are going to have like the biggest effects later on. I don't like sit her down and lecture her because she would hate that. <laughs> so it's just like the teachable moments. <laughs> Although I would helping? love to. <laughs> sit, sit her down and lecture <laughs> yeah that probably wouldn't work out all that well do no. you help your daughters seek out challenges or are you just there to support them in their challenges um i mean she kind of seeks out her own challenges i would say if she's like kind of nervous or afraid of something i tristan and i my husband were very like we hear you, we know that you're scared, but let's kind of work through it and see how we can maybe do a little bit. And then tomorrow do a little bit more. And then the next day do a little bit more. Um, which like snowboarding has been one of those examples where she was kind of scared of it, kind of nervous. So we would say, okay, let's just go out and do one. Let's do one run. And then she would do one and be like, oh, that wasn't even that bad. I want to do another and another and another. And so I think just like for us right now where we are, it's just kind of helping her get started because that's often the scariest part of anything in life is just taking that first leap. It, it doesn't change, right? I mean, it doesn't change from a four-year-old to a 64-year-old to an 84, you know, whatever it is. I mean, a 24-year-old, it's the same kind of thing. And we all have, it, it's so easy to be a victim of our own fear. And so giving her that skill set to be able to say, okay, I am afraid. And this is what fear means. Fear is, is in some ways self-preservation, but it can also be, 
a great challenge. I mean, you are a, you are somebody who seeks challenges. And do your kids do they inherit that from you? Do they do they you know do do they pick it up along the way? How does that work? Um, my kid is crazy. Like I, she is a challenge because I'm like afraid of what she's gonna do next. Like we go snowboarding, she is so fast. I like have to close my eyes. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so scary, but she's good. She knows what she's doing, you know, as a four-year-old does, but I'm like, oh my gosh. So yes, I am the one that has to be like, okay, she's okay, she's got this, because my kid is crazy. <laughs> Hold on, but would she say the same thing about you? Um, no, she doesn't think about me that way because mom's lame. Mom's not cool. Mom's not cool. She's only four no. years old and you're already not cool? Yes, I know. It's not fair. Don't you have references? You, you can <laughs> introduce her to some of these amazing people who can, who can vouch for you? She doesn't care. She doesn't care. She's like, no, they're cool, mom. They're not cool. One day she'll think I'm cool. It's okay. I won't take it personally yet. Ooh. Yet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So what's, what's next for you? I mean, you're going to continue with the blog, I assume. And you're yes. training on the East Coast, training in Sugarloaf right now. Is that what you're going to do for the winter? Yeah, so we'll be here. Um, my goal, I've got, I mean, hopefully everything stays open, but I'm going to be on snow for most of the week and then training in the gym. And we don't know when we're competing, but I'll be ready for when that competition starts. So you don't know anything yet. You don't know if it's all in Europe. You don't know if you're going to compete domestically, anything. So we had world championships and they just announced today that it's postponed until next year. So yeah, they're moving stuff already. So what will you do if, if you can't compete sort of on the Paralympic side, on the, on the adaptive team side, will you jump into, into some able-bodied competitions? Yeah, absolutely. If they're happening, we don't even know if they're happening either. <laughs> right. But yeah. No, that's the goal. Okay. And the goal is Beijing in 2022? Yeah. So this will be interesting because last games I competed in my own classification with other women who are similarly disabled. Um, but now I'll be competing against all the women. My class is no longer. So I will be competing against people who are less disabled and severe so it'll be interesting so it'll be really fun it will be really fun and so you're an above the knee amputee and you'll be yes. competing against above the knee and below the knee amputee which having a knee as spectacular as your walking knee is and i'm sure that your that your riding knee is equally spectacular it's it doesn't not quite the same as no. having your no, but I'm, you know, I'm going to do the best that I can and control what I can. I might be the only above the knee amputee competing, but hey, I'll represent strong and I'm excited. I, I think, you know, the girls are competitive, but I'm also competitive and I'm really excited. I think it'll be fun, honestly. I love all the women that I get to compete against. And so in some ways, it's kind of fun because I've always wanted to have like a big field of girls. And so now I get to have it and we'll see how it goes. Um, so stay tuned. <laughs> okay. How can, how can people follow you? So I am very active on Instagram. It's at Bren, B-R-E-N underscore Hux, H-U-C-K-S. And then on TikTok, it's just at Brenna Huckabee, just spell out my full name, as well as Facebook. 
Okay. All right. Well, this is this is awesome. And they will get to see a lot of stuff. They'll get to see <laughs> all of all, all of everything that you're doing with your prosthetics, with your with your with uh, with your sense of beauty, with your sense of beauty on the hill, with your competition, everything. So people will get a great chance. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a have a great year. Enjoy enjoy your time in Maine. And and to all of you, thank you for joining us. It's been great. Brenna's been awesome. You can follow us tomorrow. This will be again. It'll be on the One Revolution page on Facebook. We will also, this eventually will be a podcast, but you can follow us there. You can follow us on, on Instagram as well. Please follow us on, on all of the different, uh, at One Revolution on Instagram as well. So please follow us on all of, the, all of the different platforms and hopefully we will get to see Brenna out on the hill. So yes. thank you so much. Thank you. Take care.